He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although, he's had a four and two threes on this hole. He's going to be at least three shots ahead. Welcome to Bros and Birdies, a golf podcast that aims to bring the golf news, chatter and guests from every walk of the golfing world. And we aim to pick the winners of the golf tournaments on the PGA, DP World and Live Tours. On the show this week, we'll look back at last week's Charles Schwab on the PGA Tour, the KLM Open on the DP World Tour and Live Tours Live DC at Trump's Place. We'll also preview the Memorial at Jack's Place and the Porsche European Open at Green Eagles just outside Hamburg. We'll also discuss Live, Range Fighters, Ryder Cup, PGA Tour cards and so much more. But to do all that, we've got to get Big Bro in. Oh, bro, how you doing? Welcome to another week of Bros and Birdies, the golf podcast. How's your week been so far? Mate, well, it's Tuesday, so I hasn't had much of it, really. But um, do you know what? It's all right. It's work. We had a bank holiday. There was, the sun was shining, went out, a few beverages, a bit of eats, a bit of walking. You know, it's um, it was nice. You know, I'm lucky to live in Cambridge. People have seen some pictures on social media and whatever. And it is a beautiful city. Ely's not too far away as well. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting on. I went out onto the golf course last week, and you actually—boring alert! Boring alert! I don't even—I don't even—I don't, even, um, don't even know if you know this, right? So my my son took up the game. He's he's 18. I got him a set of clubs when he was 16. I've told you about this on the pod before. Oh yeah. He's been playing the game for four months now, regularly going to driving range a couple of times a week, playing when he can. Um, he and beat me the other 59. day. He beat me the other day. Did he? That's not yeah. hard, though, is it? Come on. I did play terribly, but we were going down a par five. It was a Bar Hill, uh, Cambridgeshire Golf Club. And green. I tell you what, that course was in fantastic nick. Everything was fantastic. The fairways, the greens were immaculate, although they perhaps need to have a a little bit of character about the greens. Some of the holes are fantastic, sort of nice downhill dog legs left and right and a bit of water in play. And he was playing very well. And we went down the last and there was it was still a lot to play for. And he stood on that tee, right? And he hit it 310 yards down the middle of the fairway on a par five. He left himself with a seven iron in, um, just short of the green, up and down, birdied, beat me. And I tell you what, I don't know where that boy gets his humility from, but it ain't from me. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Oh, he loved it. He couldn't wait to tell everybody. Like, I'm surprised he didn't stop in the middle of the A14, you know, and just, just blurt it out in front of everybody. Now, he was very happy. He's very chuffed. He didn't expect it to happen that soon, but I did play terribly. And um, we'll just have to wait until we get him out of the course next time. But yeah, and anyone that's around Cambridgeshire, go to Bar Hill Cambridgeshire Golf Club. It is in Great Nick, and it's only twenty-five pound per person, early starters, which I think is great value for around here. Considering you have to go to somewhere like Gog Magogs or Newmarket, and you're looking at sort of seventy quid around. So, um, yeah, that was good. So the week was um, week has been so far better than last week on the grounds that I haven't been beaten by my um, eldest son. But there you go. Um, beating Excellent. the golf, that is, not physically. Um, yeah, what about you? What have you been up to? 
Oh, just a lot of bowls, you know. It's okay, actually... that's enough about that. Right, let's... <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, do you know what? It's interesting. You say about um, about your son beating you on the golf course. Well, we're only two rounds away in our Surrey competitions and bowls between me and my son meeting each other in the quarterfinals of our area. So that could be quite interesting. Very feisty if that ever happens. So... Oh yeah. yeah, I can imagine the feistiness on a um, on a crown green bowling. Oh, here circuit. we go again, knocking it. Anyway, come on, no more bowls knocking. Let's get on to golf. But the week those, been... those those Zimmer frames will be flying. Yeah, the week in golf. Right, let's start off with some great news. Um, couple of friends of the pod, young guys, Matty Dobberry, who went over at the start of the year to East Tennessee. Um, not the start of it sorry, last year, East Tennessee State University. And he's had a fantastic season for his university, performed really well. And according to Data Golf Amateur Rankings, has got inside the top 300. That is 19 years of age. and He's 299 in the world, according to Data Golf. You've got some news about somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as viewers, listeners to our podcast will know, it, Matty Dobberry is one of the young golfers from the Northwest that we follow. Spencer Davis is the other one. And Spencer had an absolutely amazing weekend at Wallasey Golf Club on the Wirral, playing in the Frank Stableford competition, which is actually where the Stableford points system was invented. And this is an annual competition. But on his 16th birthday over the weekend, he was playing against 80-odd Really good seasoned adults in this competition, and he finished second, only what? beaten beaten two points by the winner, Andrew Haswell, um, who's actually from Ormskirk um, Golf Club. And yeah, that, that is one hell of an amazing performance from a just-turned 16-year-old. And we've been waxing lyrical about this lad for quite some time, so... You know, definitely got some game in him. And that is an amazing performance. And he's also been doing good stuff in the UK this year. So great to see those stories from those two youngsters. And we continue to talk about them and follow them. And I know we will get them back on the podca podcast in due course. Well, we're going to catch up to it. Hopefully going to catch up with them at Royal Liverpool um, mm -hmm. for the Open. Obviously, they're both members up there. So let's see if we can make that happen. And perhaps we'll get a few in tournament chats with them and their views on the open as it progresses right so well done to them um last week let's talk about over on the pga tour first the charles schwab at colonial emiliano grio uh first win since the fries.com in 2015-16 cuts wise he's made 152 out of 206 tournaments two win um two wins six runner-up and 29 top 10. He's amassed over $18 million in the seven years that he's been on tour. Um, great for him to get it done. There was, a, I don't know if you watch much of it, but did you see that scene where it sort of went into the sort of water runoff area and the ball just kept on, kept on going? Um, I, just... I certainly did. I caught the back end of it. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite a story really, wasn't it? Because he nearly threw the tournament away. He very did. Do you know what? And you think... You know, it has been since 2015-16. It's hard to get. We've seen how difficult it is for players to get over the line in tournaments. It mm. ain't easy. Um, 
but he's, he did it. And congratulations to Emiliano. But I look at Hovland um, again, just, it just can't put four rounds together in these sort of tournaments. And 73 in round four was just not where Victor could see himself, I'm sure, at the start of Sunday when he stood on that first tee. But, you know, we'll see how he progresses this week in the elevated event. Um, one guy to talk about, there was a lot talked about, obviously, the, the PGA Championship, the star of the show, um, although he didn't win it. It was Michael Block um, got invited to the Charles Schwab. He must have been knackered, bro. And he finished dead last. <laughs> dead last. Uh, Mr. Cut by Country Mile. And... I feel for him in a way. He made some silly comments, didn't he? Now, you know, if we remind yeah. our listeners what comments he made about, you know, if he had Rory's length, then he would have been a pawn. I mean, he would have been <laughs> one of the one of one of the greatest um, golfers in the planet, world class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But come on, we talked about it last week, and it was the height of it. It was everything was going on. The euphoria got carried away with it a bit, but people really really eager to knock him down. And I just wonder with the tiredness and that sort of knocking down so quick after the, the elation of the PGA, he sort of probably got in his shoulders a bit. I, I think so. I mean, the, the, listen, we know there's a lot of people out there that are ready to knock and, you know, some high, high profile people in the world of social media um, who we don't really need to talk about too much. But I, I think the, going back to the Michael Block story, you've got to think, you know, the adrenaline would have been flying the week before and the week leading up to the start of the Charles Schwab would have been very tiring for him. You know, a lot of media obligations, everything that goes with that. And yes, whilst he's played a number of events on the PJ tour over the years, it still would have been, you know, shattering for him, but you, you would think he would be embarrassed with that opening round that he had um, at the Charles Schwab and you know I saw a couple of holes where they featured him in the coverage and you know he played out of one bunker into another one uh, you know it was just it was just horrendous viewing and chalk and cheese from the week before but I think that's that's everything that goes with that I think you know so Michael Block one thing to mention not too much time to spend talking about him but you know, I think you know from the notes that I've made and I didn't see a lot of golf over the weekend because I was playing a lot of bowls um, but you know Harry Hall again banging contention and this thing you mentioned Victor Hovland there was Hovland there was Hall Scheffler was in the mix you know you, you've got to be absolutely shitting yourself if Scheffler's in the mix and you know going down the back nine you know we had Adam Schenk and Grio. they were all in the hunt and they all did their damnedest to try and throw that tournament away. Harry Hall did on the last. He went into the water on the left. He doesn't even know how he drove it that far, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, made a bogey, fell out from eight under to seven under, whatever it was. Grio was standing on the tee on 10 under with, you know, effectively a two-shot lead and put his ball into the water. And as you said, you know, it rolled 140 yards back. There was a lot of rulings around it and he eventually played it from where it crossed and made double bogey just to scrape into that playoff. So, yeah, just a few names to call out there. Um, you know, a lot of people would say it's probably a boring tournament, but it had a lot going into that back nine. And one final point for me on Colonial, did you know it's actually be, it, straight after that event, they started digging up the course. And I think there's going to be an awful lot of... Um, renovations and changes to the course that's being made did you know that 
No, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah. It's, it's quite as it's challenges, doesn't it? That course obviously mm. can be seen in the, the winning total of eight under. But another ace to talk about, Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Got the ace in round four. And you're right, Harry Hall, great tournament for him. Um, played well. Some more points again for Justin Rose. Obviously, he's. we're going to talk a bit about him later regarding the Ryder Cup situation and what have you. But yeah, it's, it was an all right tournament. Like you, I didn't watch it all. I watched bits and pieces in each round and um, enjoyed it. I was watching live probably more. Um, and actually watched a lot of the KLM, which we're going to talk about now. So let's move mm. on to the KLM then, bro. Um, yes. From the Charles Schwab. Now, wind and fast greens at Bernardus, and it was playing very, very tough. And when a tournament is playing tough like that, you need a guy with big cojones to see it through. Now, the man in question, Pablo Larathabal, he started round four with par and double bogey. But his mental fortitude, and he, he really, we know he shows his passion on the, on, the, on the course, very much like Marcel Siem, you know, really puts it out in front of the general public. And, and he just gritted it out, didn't he? Gritted it out, gritted it out, made a 22-foot birdie at the last and saw off um, his compatriot Adrian Otegi, amongst others, including Rasmus Hoygaard. Afi Bumfat and Adrian Moronk, who really flattered to deceive going into round four. But one thing I'd like to say about this, you know, this is four wins for Pablo Larathabal in 14 months. Mm. He's gone to 53rd in the world rankings. Now the official world golf rankings, although data golf and TUGR have him a lot further down, which if, I, I just don't understand what a player has got to do to apart from win four tournaments in just over a year to really get inside that top 50 and it highlights the struggles that the dp world tour have regarding strength of field ratings and we're seeing it again this week um, um and it's it's difficult i know and pablo larathabal has been talking about um his lift situation we're going to get on that and listen to a bit of pablo later on but um did you get to, i know you were playing bowls as you said numerous occasions but did you see any of it at bernardus I, I enjoyed it i didn't see one bit at all i saw some highlights oh, bro. I, watched, I watched something back on the internet and uh, you know just some clips of certain shots and stuff like that but no i didn't see it um but i have read up in terms of you know what actually happened at the tournament, and, and I agree with you. I mean, you know, Pablo Larathabal is playing some amazing golf. You know, he's won nine times on the DP World Tour from only 409 starts. I mean, that, that that's quite an impressive win rate, really, when you think about it in terms of tour standards. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? He was 40 years of age on the 15th of May, so only a couple of weeks ago, and they say life begins at 40. And it's interesting what he's doing in a Ryder Cup year and making that push, you know, for a, a Ryder Cup place. And who's to say that, you know, he can't get on that team. He's had lots of lovely messages after this latest win um, over in the Netherlands, you know, from Johnny Rahm to Ryder Cup captain Luke Donald and, and probably countless others as well. But, you know, he's just... He's just a down-to-earth guy, loves the DP World Tour, loves playing golf, loves competing. And that's two wins this year 
and two wins in 2022, like you say, four wins in the last, however, eight, 18 months or whatever, and also winning across a number of different countries, you know, two in Germany, two in South Africa, one in France, one in the UAE, one in Spain, one in Korea, which was early this year, and now obviously in the Netherlands. So, you know, you can call him a world-class player, I guess. But, well, um, let's let's yeah. talk. Let I tell you what. Let's go straight to it then, because he was he was on the Sky Sports podcast with Josh Antman, and was discussing the whole live approach and the tournaments Centurion um, live London, although it wasn't London. But let's have a listen to what Pablo had to say regarding his permission to play live. My intention to play uh, that live was uh, that live event was uh, if they give you look uh, uh, on the on the European tour we you know uh, we play for money we play for a lot of money we play for two or three million a week that is that is amazing uh, and uh, you know we have to thank all the sponsors and blah blah it's, it's Sky Sports for putting all those TV deals and all that stuff but if they give you the chance uh, the you know a three day casino day, you know, weekend to go and try to win four million in one week, you have to think about it. Uh, and, and that's what I did. Uh, I talked to, to, uh, to the European Tour uh, at the PA Championship last year. They agreed, uh, they agreed to me to, uh, to, okay, you can play one. And then in exchange, you have to play uh, uh, three uh, European Tour events that they that they, they, they named, uh, and uh, I agreed with the, with our CEO. Uh, they, he agreed to me uh, by phone. Obviously, he was he was uh, in London. I was in uh, in America uh, and uh, in Tulsa. So we agreed with with my manager uh, with Mark Steinberg, uh, and that's what we did. Uh, we went and played in London, knowing that uh, that uh, that we didn't shake hands, but we agreed ourse- uh, ourselves, uh, uh, and knowing that uh, that nothing was going to happen. Uh, and there you go. That's you know, it's honest. There, there was a handshake and and what have you. What do you make of that? Interesting, interesting clip from you know a much longer conversation around that and and i found that you know i did actually reach out to pablo larathabal actually and you know said you know would you jump on the podcast have a chat with us and then sky nipped in and nicked him and it was like you know thanks very much for that but anyway no he was um you know very candid with his views what i found interesting about that little clip in particular was the little bit of insight we get to a, a different decision, an agreement, a gentleman's agreement, if you will. You know, he said the CEO of the tour, obviously referring to Keith Pelly, um, you know, but a gentleman's agreement over the phone to say, yes, you can play this one event, have a free shot, go to the casino, as he said, you know, you get a free ticket, you've got a shot for $4 million. Why not? If I'm getting a free ticket, I'm going to go and play, but my agreement was to then play three events that the European Tour CEO would actually call out and say, as long as you play these three events specifically, then you've got a shot. Now, that in itself, you know, how many other players had that agreement? 
Uh, it would be so interesting to try and find out, was it just Pablo? If so, why Pablo? You know, it's not like he's, you know, he's a Johnny Rahm or a McElroy or someone like that, is it? It's, I just found it very interesting and I have no reason to doubt anything that he said there at all. He seemed very genuine about it, but I, I just... Yeah. Well, they probably wanted characters, you know, and Pablo is nothing but a character, oh, character. on the golf yeah. course. And, you know, if you want someone to be, uh, your, you know, your first event, really, you know, showing at the balls and showing his passion for the game of golf at a new tour, then you probably want someone like Pablo Larathabel, really. And and he didn't play that well. I was I watched him for quite a few holes at Centurion. And he wasn't really enjoying it as it is golf. So we couldn't really see that passion come through. But yeah, that was a nice clip. Um, And that was KLM. I think we can move on from KLM because we've got so much to talk about, bro, and so much to squeeze in. So let's leave DP World Tour and head to Live Tour, Live DC, Trump's place. Highest attendance at an American venue for Live. They are building, it seems. And Harold Varner III seems a very likable very likable man, especially with the charity work, and talk with Job Done, Mito, Puig, Munoz, and Neiman. It's it was interesting, wasn't it, bro? Because at the start of the tournament, you had Casey pull out and Ogletree replaced him, and then Ogletree had a great um, great tournament, got some some dollars in his pocket. But then during the tournament, Peters, Wolf, Cockrell, yeah. quite a few withdrawals. It'd be interesting. There's a you know, there's a very long gap now to the next tournament, Valderrama. So hopefully they'll be able to get themselves sorted for that. But I just hope we're not, you know, revisiting issues with Wolf. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I made a few notes about that. Like you say, you've called the names out, the players that withdrew after round one. And it was interesting, the players that actually came in. I think Ormsby came in for Thomas Peters. Um, Scott Vincent's brother came in for, I think, Wolf and Kokrak. Um, you know, that they were pull outs as well. I think Horsfield was injured before anyway, wasn't he? So, and it was interesting when I looked at the money side of this as well, is that there was only actually 45 payouts in terms of the money. So I don't know what the rules are around those players that come in, um, you know, if players are injured and have to withdraw and stuff and, you know, who gets the money? Because it, it wasn't disclosed in any of, you know, the material you could find out there and not even on the the live website either so yeah it, it was it had you know that aspect to it obviously hv3 winning um you know he, he's a largest life character isn't he you know he seems a very big family man uh you know of color and stuff you know and and he you know he's just he, he's just everything about live at the moment isn't he is you know that kind of exuberance in his character and you know, we, we've got a whole load of things going on in Live at the moment. New winners, first-time winners, people winning a lot of money. It's okay winning their second team events. You know, the Range Goats really finding their way. And Brandon Grace as well, you know, that that's his second second place finish, isn't it? In, in as many um, events, I think. And, you know, just... But the one thing we don't see that's any different is see Wankim. Um, 14 over, 14 over for the tournaments, only bettered by by lefty plus nine. So, yeah, just, you know, it continues to have everything. And Donald Trump, of course, Donald Trump coming out and praising the event, as you would expect. Of course he's going to. Yeah. It's, but, uh, you know, just let's go back and let's let's look back on that Harold Varner. The, the, what he's doing for charities and, and he's telling mm. 
you know, he says to change people's lives and to help people costs a lot of money and and he's winning a lot of money. But he's putting his 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 hand in his pocket and he is really passionate about what he's doing. And, and, and I think that has to trump, excuse the pun, everything else that goes on surrounding, you know, negativity of live and, and what have you. So it's going to be interesting. And obviously, you know, there's going to be T- Mickelson and Brandel Shambly and and the Faxon and Brandel Shambly. And it, I just I want the game of golf, especially regarding live to start moving in a direction. I know you're always going to have the links, Saudi and chainsaw and bone soaring and all this and the links to 9-11, which was atrocious. Get it right. But there has to come a time when talk becomes about what live is doing for the good as in Harold Varner and his charity work and other stuff that Liv is doing outside of the tournament. So I like, like, like you, I do like you, but I wasn't going to say that, but PGA tour, DB oh, world tour, live golf challenge tour, corn ferry tour, LET LPGA, Asian tour, international series, sunshine tour, tour of Australia. Look, we love all golf. Okay, but I just let's just talk about the golf because there's some fantastic performances on the live circuit, as there is and there will be this week up at Jack's place, and as there will be over in the Porsche European Open. You know, golf is it's not in a great place, but I don't think it's far away from being in a great place. No, it isn't. And I, I bring us back to the Loratabal interview with Sky as well, in that you know, he made a he made a very strong point about part of the reason for not continuing with Liv was, you know, his decision. He, he wanted to play for fun, not for money. Um, that, as far as he was concerned, that was a, a once, a one-off chance, a free shot, as he said, in the casino. Um, and he he is a driver for wanting the DP World Tour to become a stronger tour. Um, but he also caveated that with, you know, he knows that the tour hasn't got the money that Liv has got, that the PGA Tour have got, despite the strategic alliance. And so he raises the alarm bells around the time that is left for the DP World Tour to become stronger in, in that sense, because they're, they're just running out of time. And to your point there, I think we are fast approaching the point where all of the politics and everything that goes with everything in world golf at the moment, it has to stop. And there has to be decisions made around, you know, the the credibility of live and does it deserve world ranking points? You probably got to say, yes, it does. And very soon it needs to happen. And we've all got to start coexisting and rules have to be set in place and, and the boundaries are made and that stuff. So it's, I think we've got to see that. And we've got to see that by the end of this calendar year. Otherwise, we could just mm. see this drum going round. No, amen to that. Right, you've got a piece on live, haven't you? Live money. I do, as I have regularly had in previous podcasts, and it's just a very quick piece. You know, I like looking at the money, but we've got Taylor Gooch that sits at the top of the individual player rankings from a money perspective, and he's just a shade under nine point three million dollars, followed by Brooks Kepka seven point three million dollars and then we've got Varna obviously with his latest win just reaching up into third six and a half million just under HV3 also ha- ha- uh, Howell 
Chucky three sticks, as I call him, just also alongside Varna, just a shade over 6.4 million. And Brandon Grace continuing this amazing form that he's got. And again, a name that you wouldn't have expected in other tours to have kind of been, you know, sitting at the top of leaderboards, but he is, even though that we've got some good names like DJ and Smith, et cetera, et cetera. So that's some of the players. Um, And then on the team events, we are seeing the range goats, as I've already called them out. They have really gone to the top in terms of the money scene, just a shade under 18 and a half million, 13% of the money pool to date across the events they've played in 2023, followed by, as you would expect, the four aces, just under 17 million. And then the crushers and the stingers. And the stingers have also had a few good tournaments recently, haven't they? Which obviously is the team of which Dean Burmester is in. So, so yes. And one thing I wanted to mention on, um, and certainly obviously goes to money as well with regards to live, is that there's some reports that events are actually going to go back onto YouTube, but people are going to have to pay for it instead of live free streaming. So uh, interesting move there. Obviously moving away from the app that they're on. And no, no, they... only in certain certain parts of the country, uh, certain parts of the world. You no, exactly, yeah. But yeah. even still, you're still going to have to pay for it. Whereas, obviously, previously in the inaugural year, it was um, you know free to air. Well, we're all right over here because we've got our live app and all that malarkey, so we'll be able to watch it. So we're happy. Um, okay, right. So that was your piece on live. Um, range finders. Let's get into some topics um, surrounding the world of golf at the moment. Topical because. Slow pay is an issue, um, and it's a real big issue, and I witnessed it on the golf course the other day, again, with slow play, and it was a struggle. It took us five hours to get round, only a two-ball, um, just very slow, three and four balls in front of us, and no one would really let us play through. It was a bit of a pain, right? And what's struggling? And Padraig Harrington's come out and said something, right? So, and I completely get it. He sees no problem with range finders in the game. They should be able to be used all the time. And I get that. And I agree. And we'll get your opinion on it. But my opinion is that instead of, you know, you've got a, a ball wayward drive and you're trying to get a, a proper distance and then the caddy goes up and marks it all out. And that just adds to the time it takes to play your shot. You get a range finder, pinpoint, happy days, get on and play your game. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's there's another side to that as well. I, I think use of rangefinders also could potentially have the the ability to slow the game up, really, in terms of, you know, if everybody's using them and everybody's taking their time to try and find their distance or their range. But, you know, Padraig Harrington, as you've just called out, has said, you know, I've just played two events back-to-back and played the PGA Championship and also the, the seniors um, major of which he absolutely blew up in that playoff against Steve Stricker. By the way, it's probably the use of the rangefinders that did him. But um, yeah, he, you know, I, I just I'm not sure about it. I guess you know he's been around in the game long enough, and and that's his opinion. He thinks it's maybe one way of combating the slow play argument that's rumbling around. I, I'm sitting on the fence on that one. I'm not too sure. I think if everybody was using it we could see just a slow game. But that comes back to the authorities in terms of making sure that they implement and enforce the rules around the use of rangefinders if that ever came in and how that links to slow play. 
but um, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe the use of rangefinders um, when you're in a bit of trouble, miles away from markers, um, perhaps hilly. I don't know, hilly areas. You need to go out and get a sort of a rough guess on how far you're away. I don't know. There must. I see a place for them, and I think Thomas Bjorn was a bit sceptical. He's come out on social media saying, "Yeah, I think I agree with you. They could and would speed up play generally." And I guess. If you if that's coming from people within tournaments, within you know playing a tournament, and I guess they're seeing the benefits and seeing the play sped up, so it'd be interesting. I I don't see any harm in it, but yeah, it'd be great to see how this conversation goes forward. And you know, if, if it's something that can or can have the possible positive effect of speeding up play, that would be great. Um, I'd get Patrick Cantley four of the fuckers. <laughs> exactly. Hey, listen. You know this isn't going to be an issue for professional golfers, but these the, these pieces of quit uh, quit kit are expensive pieces mm. of gear. You know, and the manufacturers and the companies that make them are probably sitting there rubbing their hands, thinking, "Yeah, I love this." You know, we're going to be selling more range finders. Um, but you know, for your average golfer that you know obviously might not have a little bit of money but plays maybe once a week or every other week or whatever they might not be able to afford these range finders so it's not going to be for everybody but we are talking about professional golf as part of this conversation and you know again it's part and parcel of another you know the bodies the rule makers making a decision sticking to it and enforcing the rules as far as i'm concerned and that's where i sit on the subject Exactly. Well, we'll see how this um, debate goes on. Um, I'm sure a lot more golfers will have something to say about it. Right. I want to talk Ryder Cup, bro. And I know we, we touched on it um, recently and just talking about you know players, who we think, who's our 12, etc. Right. But what I want to do, right, you've got six picks and Luke has got the six qualified players, right? So six picks, what does Luke do? Does Luke Donalds as... A stalwart, if you like, of the Ryder Cup and European Tour. Um, you know, he's been part of was it four winning Ryder Cup teams, and he's, you know, he's obviously a very likable guy, and he'll have his own opinions. But what does Luke do? And I looked about, and there's a lot of talk about our oh, players don't play enough in on the DP World Tour circuits. You know, these guys that are predominantly based over in the US and. I want to put to you, out of all the players, right, uh, who have got possible chances of getting into the European Ryder Cup team, I'm going to go through them, and I'm going to, and I want you to give me the player you think has played the least amount of DP World Tour events, right? Okay. So we've we've got Perez, Moronk, Power, Larathabal, Peters, Hoggard, Detree, Lowry, Rory. Rahm, Hovland, Hatton, Rose, Fitz, and Fleetwood. Jesus Christ, what do you think? I'm a shorthand typist or something. <laughs> oh. You're a shorthand <laughs> Or a rain man. Rain okay, man. but <laughs> go on. So out of all, you know who's in the current, uh, who's in the in the offing to get a Ryder Cup place, right? Out of all those players that are in the offing for a Ryder Cup place, who do you think has played the least amount of times on the DP World Tour circuit. This is excluding majors and WGC events. Oh, I'm going to say Seamus Power straight off the bat. Absolutely correct. Really? And he, wow. Okay. He is, he's only played one time. This is since last September. Yeah. Right. When the ranking points started. 
Yeah. Since last September, he's played one time, and that was in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. There is another player in the mix that has also played only once. Give me the names again. Go on quickly. Perez Moronk. Perez Moronk, Larathabal Peters, Hoggard, Lowry, Rory, Rahm, Hovland, Hatton, Rose, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood. Oh, crikey. Um, is it a big name? Is it a big name? It's big enough. Big enough, big enough. Um, Lowry. No. Justin Rose has only played one. Oh, interesting. Only played one. He played the uh, BMW PGA at Wentworth last since last September. So him and Power played one. Hmm. The most, and this is where I want to get into debate, is that should, should players that have played a lot more tournaments on the European Tour circuit should there be a case for them to have multiple points, like a bonus scheme for, for being loyal? to? The, I know some of them can't even get over to America, and they'd probably love to. That's going to be the next topic I'm going to get on to in a minute. But the likes of Larathabel, right? He's played 16 times since last September, the European circuit. Mm. Adrian Moronk, 12. Victor Perez, who's already qualifying in his own right, as it stands, has played 12 DP World Tour events since and even Thomas Peters has played the same as Lowry and Rahm. And he joined a different tour. He's played five. You know, Lowry and Rahm. Rory, um, sorry, Rory. Rahm's played less than Rory. Um, Rory played five. That was the Hero Dubai Classic, the BMW PGA, the Italian, Donnell Links, and the DP World Tour, uh, DP Tour Championship. Rahm played the Open de Spagna, BMW PGA, and DP Tour Championship. And it's players... Frustrate me. It's like Hovland has only played three since last September. You know, you'd mm. have Hovland down as eyes. Oh, you know, he really, you know, he's definitely a European tour man. This fella, you know, he'll come back whenever he can. In fact, he won't. So my argument is, you know, look at Fleetwood. Five. He's five times. He won the Ned Bank. Let's include the Ned Bank because it is an, you know, it's a co-sanctioned event yeah. for the Sunshine Tour. But what do we do? Do you look at Seamus Power and go? He could qualify right in his own right. But he's he could qualify whilst only playing one DP World Tour. I know he's going to probably come over for the co-sanctioned Scottish Open. I'm not including that. But I'm talking about why aren't players going to tournaments and, and getting over into the European ethic? I, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel? Should there be a bonus? Um, it's a really good question. I'm not sure. Let, let me just backtrack one one step, right, in terms of, the challenge around playing more. There are a number of those players you listed out that don't need to because they know that even if they don't make it through the point system, whether there's a bonus point system or not, which there isn't, they're still going to be in the frame in terms of Donald's six extra picks. You know what? We know already that there is a European points list, there's a world points list, the top players from, from those that they kind of mesh in and, there are a number of those players that know they're going to be part of that team. So how do you, how do you structure something? I think th there's definitely an argument for coming up with, to address your point about getting those players to play more on the European, the DP world tour to advertise the tour a bit more, strengthen it and stuff. But that's the whole point of you know getting their route into the PGA Tour where there is more money, where there is more world ranking points. Um, that's just where they're going to sort of 
move to in that direction. And we heard that with Lorazabal as part of his interview as well, is, you know, obviously the, the enticement of potentially at the age of 40 getting his PGA Tour card. But the opposite side of that, again, is that a number of European players that go over there are in this lonely bubble of, you know, kind of... The, and and he's a, a gregarious person. Is that, would it suit him? So I know we, we veer off slightly there into a different subject, but I think... I don't know what the right answer is, and and you you may have a well, more stronger view. Well, no, it's just I I feel very strongly about and Perez will will get in right. I think Perez is pretty much certain, and he's played a lot of tournaments. I think Moronk's pretty much certain of getting in, and he's played a lot of tournaments. Mm. But the likes of Larathabel, who okay, he's getting closer to the point situation, but obviously we've got the the majors um, coming, U.S. Open. He hopes to qualify for, I believe. And the Open. But then you've got the bigger events, you know, where other players like your Seamus Power. All Seamus Power has to do is finish high up in a couple of elevated events and a major. And then all of a sudden he's got a place and he's only played one since last September. Well, he's got to play so, some good golf to do that, though. And he's not been recently, so... Yeah, but my point is, is playing tournaments on the tour, you know, because everyone's turning around and saying, oh, it's European Tour versus PGA Tour. Well, it's, it's not. But if anyone's yeah. going to argue that it's European Tour versus the PGA Tour, then surely the players playing in that Ryder Cup for the European Tour have to play a lot more for the European Tour. But you could have Pablo Larathabal playing 16 times as it stands. By the time it gets to Marco Simone, he, he probably played over 20-odd times on the European Tour circuit, and he could potentially not and that's four wins in 14 months as it stands potentially not get a spot on the Ryder Cup team mm, mm. but that's because of the the makeup as it is currently it's you know the world point system the European tour point system or the DP world tour point system as it is um making up half of your team um, well let's so let's well, keep that there then keep that thought bro um because we're going to touch on something else in a minute but let's keep the Spanish theme. Larathabal. Let's hear what John Rahm had to say about Sergio Garcia and his omission from the Ryder Cup. You know, I was disappointed by that. What's your thoughts about Sergio not being on the team? I'm going to miss him. We had a great partnership at Wesley Straits. Uh, and I'm going to mention history again one more time. You know, a Spanish duo in the Ryder Cup, I think to me, is embedded into the roots of the Ryder Cup. We will say, and Ali were able to do throughout their partnership, right? So it's a little sad to me that politics have gotten on the way of such a beautiful event. Uh, again, it's the best Europeans against the best Americans, period. And whatever is going on, who's playing live and who's not playing live, to me, shouldn't matter. It's whoever's best suited to represent the European side. And I have a hard time to believe that the best player Europe has ever had, the most successful player Europe has had on the Ryder Cup, isn't fit to be on the team, right? So um, it's unfortunate. I will miss him. But with that said, uh, I want to be hopeful. It's a couple of Spanish guys playing really good right now. So hopefully they can join me on the team. And there you go. That is, you know, that is probably the most sensible thing I've heard come out of anybody regarding European team. And that's politics. John Rahm saying politics, politics, politics. It gets in the way. Where they don't, you know, you can blame Liv all you like and, and what have you, but it is European golfers 
against the best American golfers. And that's how it should be. Absolutely agree. That is how it should be. Obviously, it's not going to be because the European Tour in conjunction with Ryder Cup, you know, the setup, the Ryder Cup, have clearly made their decision um, to, to not allow certain players, obviously, that have defected to live, etc., to come in and play. And that therefore excludes the likes of Sergio. Um, you know, but John Rahm's come out and, and he's probably taken the very same view as a lot of rational people would have done that just want to see the best golfers in the world competing against one another. And it could, and we could still see the Americans make a decision to allow the likes of DJ and Brooks Kepka into their team. And that, for me, would be the right decision. Uh, it's just a shame that we're not going to see that reciprocated on the European side. So, And I just want to flag something up, actually, last week. Someone pulled me up on social media um, regarding the booing of Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks at the PGA Championship. And, you know, I said, oh, it shouldn't happen at Hoy Lake and whatever. But you're right, it did. It did happen. And it has happened. Poulter and Westwood has been have been booed over on these shores since the live situation. Um, so I just wanted to clear that one up, bro. Um, let's get off the Ryder Cup because we've got to crack on. We've got two tournaments to preview and I've got one more topic I want to debate with you, but it's only brief, mm -hmm. right? You touched on it just a second ago and it was the 10 PGA Tour cards that are on offer for the likes of the Rathabelle. Um, You know, if you finish in the top 10 places and so exclude all those exempt players like your Rory's and your Hovland, Lowry's, whatever you were, their PGA Tour cards already. Let's go down the list as it stands right now. Who will get those 10 cards? They are Perez, Moronk, Larapabal, Olison, Campillo, Oki Stridham, Bjork, Soderberg, Otegi, and Yannick Paul, with the likes of Seam and Luton, Kitayama, Rosner, Langask, and Valamaki all in the wings. Now, you talked about Larathabal, and he mentioned it himself about not playing for money and playing for fun and what have you. And it's possible that he might not take up his PGA Tour card if he was to get it. Mm -hmm. But you look down the list, I don't think there's another out of the other nine out of that 10. I, I don't know them personally, and I, but I would say they would give their right arm for a PGA Tour card. Would they, though? Would would they? Uh, the, the chance of it being there, yes. It, it would be so interesting to, to try and get a view. You're not going to, but you know, to get a view from the likes of those players. Perez, for sure. Moronk, I th he'd definitely want to try his hand, I think, on the... PJ Tour because he's his stock is rising in world golf for sure, but the likes of Oki Strider and Bjork, Tagi, Soderberg, I don't know. And and part of that comes back to this whole thing that we've been hearing around. You know, European players feeling isolated out in America. They don't have you know they they've essentially got to move their families out there to have some kind of normal life. Is that going to happen? We talked about that with Blandy originally when he came on our podcast, if he mm. ever had that chance before his live decision. Um, and, and he didn't think so. He, he, he said he would commute. Um, you know, so, but again, that costs money. So who's going to pay for that? Do the, the, the players get support around that? I, I don't know. I, and 
You say there are a number of players in the wings. Um, obviously, there is there is a way to go in the season yet in terms of how that top 10 might change. But the, there are a few, two or three names up there that maybe I would expect to make that move to the PGA Tour, like I've just called out. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses. And obviously, players will fall out of those 10 spots, obviously. And the players who don't take up the card, that must get offered down again. So, yeah, you could have the likes of Marcel Siem. I know he's played a little bit over in, on the PGA Tour before. And it'd be great to see him over there have another crack at it. And Kitayama being American as well, I would think he would probably take it up. I'm not sure. And they've always got the the fullback. And when they come back, they've still got the retainer that are going to be paid out each season. So we'll see how that one goes. I just thought I'd bring it up because it's interesting. Um, you know, you've got the Ryder Cup um, points and the stand-ins and the picks. But then you've also got this added layer at the end where potentially 10 of our best players could head over to the US. And we've already seen temporary memberships for the likes of Ryan Fox, etc. So... It Look. is interesting, bro, but what one thing I want to say on that, just to kind of really close that out, I think is what is going to be more interesting is that decision at the end of the year in terms of how many of those players actually want to take that option up because mm. that will then really um, make that final determination around how strong is that strategic alliance, you know, and... and do players really want to make that move? Because that's the one thing that's off on offer, isn't it? That's one of the, the, their selling points is there is a route into the PGA Tour. So, you know, you've got all your soft points around it, family, personal, mental well-being. So I, I think that's going to be the interesting points come the end of the season for me. It'd just be interesting. It? It's, it sounds one of those, like, oh, you'll give you 10 best players in the PGA Tour, 10 rounds of, Okay, well, we're going to give you our 10 worst players. You know, that's the sort of alliance it seems to me. And we'll see at the Scottish Open how the old strategic alliance is going to evolve. Apparently, Pelly's going to tell us already. It's going to reveal all. Um, right, let's get into the tournaments this week, bro. Let's um, head over to the PGA Tour and continue talking about it. And we're going to go to Memorial, Dublin, yes. Ohio, Jack's Place. The weather, right, you're going to tell us about the course, but the weather is looking fine all week. No problems, whatever, for this elevated event. A mini major. I, I saw someone on socials turn, into, turn around today and saying, they called it a mini major. It's like, get out of it. Jesus, it's just a, a PGA Tour tournament with more money. But yeah, all the big boys are there. What can you tell us about Jack's place? It's interesting. It could be a mini major. The course has been lengthened this year. And as we know, you know, Jack always oversees any kind of course developments here at Muirfield Village. You know, this is Jack's home, as they call it. And so it has been lengthened. So it's now just a shade under 7,600 yards long. That's a long course. It's a par 72. And we've seen, you know, the 16th, 17th, 18th tough finishing holes here at Muirfield Village. And the 6th, which is a par, uh, 16th par 3, is now 220 yards long. You know, we any any par three over two hundred yards long is a tough um, ask, but you know we we've got that here this year. The seventeenth par four has been lengthened to five hundred and three yards long. We know the eighteenth is a tough closing hole as well. So yeah, maybe it is a mini major in the sense that Muirfield Village is a tough test of golf. It's also a designated event with 
a number of you know the world's best players attending. Uh, I think Tony Finau isn't playing this week. I think I looked at the lineup earlier on, but you know we've got a lot of the world's cream at the top of the golf. Um, rankings are here this week. So, you know, what do we know? It, you know, we know it's heavily tree lined. We know that the bunker setup at Muirfield Village is really tough. Uh, there's water in play on probably two thirds of the course. You know, the rough is also thick and very penal. It's Kentucky bluegrass rough, and the greens are heavily contoured. Very difficult to read greens. So you, you need a really strong putter, and we've seen. Strong putters, you know, perform well here as well. And you know, we saw in a playoff, didn't we? I think it was at Morikawa and and Cantlay. Um, you know, so it's definitely a tough course. I think it was last year. It was ranked tenth toughest out of the fifty-one courses that were played. So a real tough test of golf, and that's probably why they're referring to it as a mini major. No, um, well, you put it that way. You put it so eloquently, Graham. Um, yes, I think you're probably right. It's going to be a great tournament. Always is. And why shouldn't it be? It's at Jack's place. Come on. And there's even more money to play for than usual. But yeah, it's it's a hefty field. Hefty field. It's going to take a lot to win it. Um, let's get into our picks then. I'm going to jump in first and I'm going to go straight in there with Sam Burns. And for me, Sam Burns, having played okay here previously i just like the way his game was trending last week at colonial uh 67 77 he's finished with a 68 tied sixth you know i'm ignoring the the, the miscuts at oak hill i'm ignoring the miscut at wells fargo but then i'm looking at the likes of the match play he played very well he won val spar he was sixth he was six at phoenix open i just feel watching him last week and watching some of his golf I think Sam Burns is ready to compete again. And I think he'll be right bang up there. And at 40 to 1, I think Sam Burns is quite good value, to be honest, in the outright market. Yeah, I think it's a decent price. You know, I, I think, you know, it's not that he's ready. He's been playing some decent stuff this year. I think he was blighted by maybe a few injuries um, early doors. But he is a top quality golfer, a number of top 20s this year alone. And in terms of his record here, in terms of the last six years that I've looked at, you know, he had a tied 17th in one of the two events that were played in 2020, um, obviously around, you know, when COVID kicked off. So closing around 74 for his tied 17th. So he's definitely playing some good golf. And I think I, I agree with you. He's a decent price at 40 to one in a strong field. He's a top quality player. So like that first play. Listen, I just I'm... think he, I just think he trends at this time mm. of the year. If you look at last, last year, around May, June, you know, he won Charles Schwab and then he was fourth in the Canadian Open, which obviously next week. So I, do you know what? It just might be something about this time of year that Sam really burns them all. Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, in terms of course form and getting, you know, fully tuned up in terms of this part of the year, my first play, you know, there's no, there's no doubt about it. He had to be on my card this week. He's short at 10 to 1. Absolutely is. But Patrick Cantlay loves this place. You know, five top tens in the the last five years, I think it is. And his scoring average over the 20 rounds that I've looked at in terms of those five events is 68.8. That's impressive for a tough course that is Muirfield Village. 
and that's why he's 10 to 1 and I just you know I I know I go with a small play every now and again but Patrick Cantlay had to be on that board this week I know we've got Ram I know we've got Scheffler but Cantlay's right up there when he's on form 10 no, to 1 first enough. play Fair enough. Yeah. And you just mentioned him. My second pick is John Rahm. And I just, okay, we look at the PGA, didn't have a great week, all considering, but the three performances before that, Mexico, the Heritage and the Masters, obviously where he won. Let's ignore the PGA. Let's just say he had a bad week. He wasn't really enjoying himself. You can see that in his attitude. Wasn't right for him. He'll be back this week and he'll be back to prove a point. Seven to one is short. It's John Rahm. Of course, it's short, but he's my second pick. OK, excellent. Right. My next play is also a guy that has won here in recent years. Um, you know, a top quality ball striker in the world of golf. Absolutely, he is. His form this year, you would think, has not been, you know, where it probably should be. He had a great start to the season, finishing second at the Century and then third at the Farmers. And you you thought maybe he was going to kick on and he was going to have a really good season. He had a tied sixth at the Genesis. But then he kind of just dipped off and he dipped off. But with Colin Morikawa, I think 25 to 1 or 16 to 1 might be a bit of value without Ram Scheffler and Cantlay. And if I'm going to play Cantlay, then maybe I've got to play Morikawa without and take the 16 to 1. But he is a previous winner. He won one of the two events in 2020, and he also finished second the year later. Um, with, you know, with two rounds of 66. Shows he can play this course well. If Colin Morikawa can get back into that, some of that form, I fully expect him to be up there on the leaderboard. So he's my second play. Okay. My third play is Sahith Thigala. And He's a play for this reason, right? You know, he's unbelievable. He's done phenomenal things since he's phenomenal. Sort of hit the hit the headline um, regarding what he's twenty seventh in the world. He's only twenty five. You know, we haven't seen that much of him. He's already amassed ridiculous amounts of four and a half million already. It's just the the guy is. I know he won the QBE shootouts. He was played well in the Farmers Insurance, but. It was his performances in the Masters and the Heritage, which sort of led me to pick him for this week. Not necessarily because the courses are very similar, but they're tough. And you have to plot your way around Augusta, obviously, and you have to plot your way around Heritage, Harbortown. Right? And, they're too, and I think you have to do that well here as well at Jack's Place. And I just think he can do that. And at 50-1, to 1, he can get around this course. And if he doesn't win, that's fine. But, you know, you're looking at six, seven places, a fifth of the odds. A 10 to 1 win for a guy finishing the top six or seven. I think I think Sahith can do that. So he's my third pick. He also was tied fifth last year, you know, with two rounds of 68, you know, sandwiching a 75 in round two. So shows you that he can play this course. And yeah, I'd, I'd expect him to be a bit bigger in the market because obviously we've got a lot of the top world's players. But yeah, why not? Sahith Thigala, a promising name in the world of golf. Okay, my next two plays, really big prices, totally unexpected for me. But my third one is a previous winner at this event. But his season form is all over the place this year, all over the place. But at 125 to 1 outright, and just about half that without those top three players that I called out in the market. 66 to 1 without Ram Shefflin Cantley. Billy Horschel, right? 
he's a previous winner here. He has form. He's just, he could turn his game on at any particular point. A little bit of form, she's not shown at the moment, but he's a big price, and and I, I just can't leave him off my card this week. So Billy Horschel, third play. Yeah, I just I, I looked at him and I thought, oh, obviously because he's won here, but I just do not like where he's at at the moment. Yeah, and I, so Get yeah, that. it'd have to be it'd have to be a huge turnaround. Right, my fourth and final pick uh, is a bit of a big one. It's two hundred to one. It's Nikolai Hoygaard. Um, while his brother plays over in Germany, the Porsche European Open, Nick is over here at Jack's place, and why not? Okay, but I look at his. The reason why I picked him, obviously, I like him. He's, he's going to have to have the round, the week of his life. I get it, right? But the USPGA is second round sixty-seven. I just loved it, and I watched it quite a few times. Lots of the highlights on the app and and what have you. And, you know, we know he's super talented and it's only a matter of time before he breaks through and wins a big one. I, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a major or anything like that, but win a big tournament with big names surrounding him. And his performance in the Italian Open, obviously, as well. And, of course, which was difficult, which you had to plot your way around. You know, it, it wasn't easy. Neither was Oak Hill. But a 200 to 1, I'm going to take a chance with Nicky Hargard. Interesting, interesting call. Could we see a Nick Hoygaard without Ram Scheffler Cantley double with Rasmus over in Germany? Who knows? He's Who knows? he's that crazy. He could do that. Right. My fourth and final play for the memorial is Sepp Straka. Straight in. Um, you know, if you look at what Sepp Straka did last year on the PGA Tour, it was you've used the word already, but I'm going to say it again. It was phenomenal form. Had a win at the Honda, second at the FedEx St. Jude. Remember that tournament? Uh, I think was it Zalatoris was involved as well. Um, second at the Sanderson Farms. A number, a plethora of top 10 finishes. And he has definitely got a game. He's a massive price, 160 to 1 for you know someone who's had a tied 14th here in one of the events in 2020 or 100 to 1 without the big three players. And I, I just think it's maybe a bit of value. Sepp Straka has got a game. And again, you know, maybe a bit too late in terms of a Ryder Cup push, but you know, a regular player on the PGA Tour now. Big price. Well, if Final he goes play. and wins an event like this in front of Luke Donald or, you know, why not? You know, his PGA performance tied seventh, that final round 65 was enough to suggest that yes. We know he can play. He's won. He's only 30. I thought he'd been around a lot longer than that. And he played well all right. Well, last week, tied 29th. Um, quite consistent. Finished even part for the four days. Yeah. All right. Okay. So is that all the picks for yeah, Jack's place? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Is. Well, let's head on over to the DP World Tour. And we're going to head over to Germany for the Porsche European Open Green Eagle Golf Courses. Weather-wise, you're going to tell us about the course. Weather-wise, Winds are going to be strong early doors and throughout the day on Thursday. So get yourself in a good position at this tournament. You've got to play well in the wind on the first day. Last year, Samuya, where did he come from? He shot 72, 72, 74 out of it. Eight under 64 went and won by a couple. Um, well, not even more than a couple, I think. But yeah, so what can you tell us about the course, bro? Yeah, okay. So we've got a brute of a course here in Germany. There are three courses on this setup at Green Eagle and the north course is being used this week. It sits just outside of Hamburg. The yardage is just a shade over 7,800 yards 
long, however, caveated by the fact that tournament organisers can move the tee boxes around. They have a number of op options to flex the length being played at this tournament. And apparently the setup is going to be around about seven and a half thousand yards. So they can lengthen it if they want to, they can shorten it. And that's the beauty of this course setup, which, you know, is, is great from a Porsche perspective. And I know we've talked about previously, they may be defecting from the European tour as a sponsor, but it's yardage. I've already called out par 73. I think there are six par fives on this course setup. And we've got a course that's got generous fairways from a width point of view, large greens with undulation as a feature, and there's water in play on 17 out of the 18 holes. So interesting. Although generous fairways, beware of the water, and I think there is definitely going to be a premium on accuracy this week. Now, before we get into our picks or before anything else that you want to say about the course, let's just look at the last few winners of this event. So you've already called out Kala Samuya, 200 to 1 winner last year. Before it, Marcus Armitage, 80 to 1 winner. Paul Casey, 7 to 1 winner. McAvoy, 125 to 1. Jordan Smith, 40 to 1. Levy, 45 to 1. So again, not over the last six years. Not really, with the exception of Casey, a favourite tournament. So we could see a decent price popping up this week. Is there anything else you want to add to the course? No, no, no. I think you've you've covered it well. I think it's a tough course, and especially with that wind on the Thursday, that is going to be one hell of a test. And one of the reasons I've picked the players I have, I've gone for players who have said in their own right, on their own socials, that their games are trending in the right area. And there's one player in particular who I just love the fact that he's in such a purple patch at the moment and it's it's going to be fantastic. Um, right. And talking of flex the length, I, I think I've seen that website. Right. Let's get into our picks straight away, <laughs> shall we? Um, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go with Ross Fisher. Uh, he's 100 to 1. Um, he said himself his game is getting back to somewhere near its best. And when a player says that, you just got to listen. And that's enough for me. And 100 to 1, he's shown enough to suggest that he can get in the mix. Um, and why not? He's going to need a few players at the top of the market to play below their par, um, below average. So, yeah, Ross Fisher, first pick, 100 to 1. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, you're not toying about. You've gone with the Fisher price, haven't you? It's, oh, yeah, get <laughs> I like there. it. Boom, boom. Right, okay, Ross Fisher. Right. <laughs> My first pick this week, I'm going with the previous winner here. It's Jordan Smith, straight off the bat. In 2017, he won. Last year, tied 10th. And as I say, he was 40 to 1 when he won in 2017. He's half that price this week at 20 to 1. And that is because, again, the strength of the field, you know, in terms of world ranking players, it's not so. So I, I think if Jordan Smith can bring an ounce of his strong game back, then he's got a good chance. Previous winner, 20 to 1, Jordan Smith. Okay, first pick. Right, second pick for me is <laughs> played him last week. He flattered to deceive. Um, but again, on socials, he says, my game is trending. They were his words. You can have a look at his socials. Andy Sullivan, 110 to 1. Yes, I know. His flat stick was, was, wasn't was behaving last week, and he was up and down like a horse draws. And, hey, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with my methods. And I know it hasn't paid off that well this year, but I'm hoping that will change. Andy Sullivan, 110 to 1. 
110 to 1, Andy Sullivan. I'll tell you what, Sully, if you're listening, which you're not, come on, get that putting stick working, son. Big price. Right, okay. He is listening. He's coming on soon. Uh, yeah, apparently. Right, okay. My second pick this week is one of the brothers, Italian brothers. But it's not Franny. It's Mario. Eddie. It's oh, right. Eddie Eduardo Molinari, the stat man to the golf stars, the guy that has produced a massive website spreadsheet, whatever you want to call it, giving all the players the stats that they need. But he's 66 to 1 this week. And in the last two years, he's had a tied second and a tied fifth. Now, even with opening poor rounds of 75 in 2021 and 74 in 2022 last year, I think, you know, if you're finishing high up on the leaderboard with top five performances and he's not playing too bad as well, I think he's a big price at 66 to one. So second play, Eduardo Molinari. Dodo. Right. Okay. My third pick is a very handsome Danish man, Nicholas Nordgaard Miller. Now, he's missed one cut since the Abu Dhabi in January. Just one cut, which came at Korea. And so that shows a level of consistency throughout the season. And he's played a lot. We get that. But I just, last week, right, nothing went his way. He shot 71-71, 71-71. And for everyone that probably knows that, it's one under, and he finished four under. But nothing went right for him. He He had more lip outs than Mick Jagger. Right. He was, he was, I, I, do you know what I thought? Do you know what? I've got to go for him. I've got to go for him this week. And I am. And he's 40 to one, which is relatively short, but probably not for his consistency. So, um, consistency. Yes. Consistency. <laughs> Norgard Miller, 40 to one. He's Nor- my third pick. Norgard Muller. Anyway, that's, so that's a big price. Right. My final play this hey, week. No one puts him in the corner. Exactly. No one puts baby in the corner. Right. Um, final play. I'm sticking with the Spanish theme. I'm sticking with a big hitter. He's he's long. He's long off the tee. It's a long course. We've got loads of par fives. If he can get that accuracy going this week, he's a big price. 70 to 1 is Adrian Aus. 70 to 1, I say. And I'm definitely with him. You know, tied 16th last year with... Rounds two and three, poor rounds, poor over par rounds. But I think he's definitely going to want to keep that Spanish theme going. Get up there with Lorazabal and oh, now 70 to one. So they're my three. I'm only going with three this week. Would you believe it? Well, this, uh, this is a tough course for our house, bro. But there you go. It is, you know, it it's, you've gone for him. My fourth and final pick is a guy who's just in a hell of a purple patch of form right now. Mentioned his name as not far off the list for one of those PGA tour cards. Would he take it? Getting later on in years, Use Loughton. He is having one hell of a season this season. <laughs> and I suggest that he will be thereabouts. He's 33 to 1, but you know what? Why not? He is playing some great golf. And this course might well be up his strata. Excellent. Excellent. All right. There we go. That wraps up the previews for the Porsche and the Memorial. We've talked about all the topics that we think are relevant this week. Um, get in touch with us on socials. Please follow, like, subscribe, and share. Get our podcast out to as many people. We enjoy doing it. We're trying to work on getting some new guests guests on for the next few weeks. But until then, until next week, when we're on the DP World Tour, we're previewing the Scandinavian Mixed from Ulna Golf and Country Club just outside Stockholm. 
and on the PGA Tour, we are going to Canada, Toronto, for the RBC Canadian Open. So, until then, from me, it's goodbye. And from me, it's goodbye too. Bye-bye. Now, this, this really is beyond the joke now. He's, he's, he's got guard now because this is, uh, this is quite... I've never seen anything like it before, and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness.